May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Just old enough to remember that when I was a kid, some of the best television was on the radio. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember being a, a little boy sitting in my aunt's um, kitchen eating uh, uh, cornflakes in the morning or maybe at lunchtime having a peanut butter sandwich and listening to Paul Harvey on the radio, WLW Cincinnati, the big one. And, and Paul Harvey was a, sort of a staple. I mean, I was... I was uh, attracted to uh, his, uh, his approach to telling the news and, and his other segments uh, early on. At the height of Paul Harvey's popularity, he was heard by 24 million listeners around the country, uh, more than 1,600 stations, 300 newspapers. But he wasn't just famous for telling the news. He had a little segment called The Rest of the Story, and that was really the one. I think uh, like my love for narrative was, uh, was solidified by hearing Paul Harvey tell the rest of the story. And if you're too young to know it, or if you're too old to have forgotten it, um, you, the story goes like this. He would tell a bit of a story, but he would hold back these details. And you were trying to guess all along, you know, who it was or what place it was that he was describing, trying to see if you were clever enough to figure out the rest of the story before he told you the rest of the story. And sometimes you could do it, most of the time not. Today's gospel lessons, gospel lessons sort of reads like the rest of the story. It explains why there's a story in the first place. The sort of backstory to today's gospel story is that it happens on the very first Sunday of Easter. Um, he, Luke tells us that uh, women had gone to the tomb. They found two men in dazzling clothing sitting in there. And uh, he tells us who the women were. He says that it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. And he says that there were several other women who, with them, ran to tell Jesus' closest friends the news of what the angels had told them in the tomb, namely that Jesus was alive. It's not in the, your bulletin, it's not in our lesson today, but listen to the beginning part as Luke tells it from chapter 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, the women came to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood, excuse me, two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning to, turning from the tomb, they told this to the eleven. The eleven, that is the twelve minus Judas, right? And all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women who were with them, who told this to the apostles. And then Luke adds this little sentence. But these words seemed to the men an idle tale, and they did not believe them. These women, three women plus their other women friends, all come running. We went into the tomb. We saw these men. They say Jesus has risen from the dead. And the men said, hmm, balderdash, nonsense, baloney, right? Uh, whatever other word, uh, uh, pish posh. You know, this is not true. Nonsense. Why don't, we're not having any of it. The same day. Fast forward a, a few hours. The same day, a couple of Jesus' disciples, one's named Cleopas, the other is not named, I think is Mrs. Cleopas, they take, off from, uh, they take off from Jerusalem and they're heading to their home in a town called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from the city of Jerusalem. And they're walking home, and as they're walking, a stranger shows up. And he asks them, why the sour faces? 
This is the Joe Boisel translation. It's not a bad one, to be honest with you. Why the sour faces? Why you look so glum? He literally says, why is your face fallen? And they're amazed. How can you have been in the city and not known about Jesus? And, and they started to tell him the story. And then they said, some of our women astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And they went in just in, and some of the men went back to the tomb and saw it just as the, the women had said, but they did not find the body. The stranger begins to tell Cleopas and his companion a story. He starts in Genesis. And Luke says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then he moves on to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and Hosea and Joel and Amos and so on. And he tells them a story. And the story is the story of the Messiah who must come, suffer, die, and on the third day rise again. They arrive at the home where they're traveling. They're, the seven miles ends. Jesus' uh, sermon lasted the length of seven miles. Just want to point out, my sermon's going to be shorter by far. Uh, seven miles they walk. He gives them the sermon. They arrive in the home. And what does he do? They go to the table. They're going to have a meal. Of course they're going to have a meal. I don't know what you do when you go into somebody's house and they offer a meal. You don't act like the host that Jesus does, doesn't he? He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it to them. And then Luke says... And then their eyes were open, and they knew that it was the Lord who was in their midst. But something strange happens immediately after that. Jesus vanishes. He's gone. He's gone from their sight. He had shown up incognito. They didn't recognize him. Walked along seven miles, came to their house. All of a sudden, they realize it's him, and then he's gone. He's, he's out. What do they do? They get up. They immediately run back to Jerusalem. I imagine them running the whole seven miles, don't you? Poor Cleopas is probably overweight. And this is Cleopas is way up ahead of him. And, and he's like, wait up, honey, I'm coming. And, and they, 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 they arrive in Jerusalem back and they tell the friends, we saw him, he's alive. Now take your bulletin. I, I gave you the backstory. Look with me at the beginning of the gospel lesson in verse 36. This is where Luke picks up. While they were talking about this, what's the this? That we just saw him at our house in Emmaus. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. One of the most very ancient copies of Luke's gospel does not have Jesus saying, Peace be with you. It just reads like this. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and they were startled and terrified. Jesus shows up, and he's in their midst, and they're freaking out. Now, think about this again. Luke wants us to know, just like John did, if you remember last week's lesson, John says that the disciples were in a room locked upstairs, and Jesus comes and he shows up. Luke does the same thing. No walking through the door. No, Jesus came into the room. Jesus just simply stood among them. He arrives. He's in this place. I don't know about you, but I'm a bit of a chicken. I am. I have to admit it. I, I don't do scary movies. I don't. Um, I remember about, about 15 years ago, maybe a little longer, some friends of ours brought, they said, oh, there's this movie out. It's called The Sixth Sense. You're going to love it. We're going to bring it over and you're going to I was under a blanket, like in the middle of my living room floor, a grown man, you know, and, and the children were like, Dad, seriously. Um, you know, but Jesus shows up. He's in their midst. They think they see a ghost. Luke says they were startled and terrified. 
Imphoboe. It's from the root word phobos, where we get phobia. They were terrified. And Jesus says, why are you frightened? I don't know. Because you're supposed to be dead? We, you know, you're supposed to be dead and you're standing here? How did you get into this room? You died, that's why. They thought they were seeing a pneuma, a ghost, a spirit. That Jesus lacked um, corporality. He, he was not tangible, but just a vision. They thought that it wasn't real. And this is really important. What does he say? Look at my feet and my hands. Look at them. Touch them. Does a ghost have flesh and bones? Well, the answer to that rhetorical question is no, right? A, a, a ghost does not have... And then he says something really peculiar. Give me something to eat. And they find some broiled fish and they give it to him and he eats it. Yeah, ghosts don't eat food. A long way around to this. There's a mystery of the resurrection. It, it, it's clouded in all sorts of mystery. But it is a bodily resurrection. There are so many questions. How does Jesus keep from being recognized and then is recognized? How does he disappear from a room without anybody knowing where he went? How does he show up in a room without anybody seeing him walk in? The gospel writers don't answer these questions. They just give us this mystery and leave it with us. But it is not explained by the absence of physicality. It is not explained by the lack of corporality, of tangibility. Jesus, resurrected from the dead, was tangible, touchable, three-dimensional. Not a ghost, not a spirit. Luke does not give us, neither does John or any of the other gospel writers, they do not give us a spiritual resurrection. It's really important to get your head around. They do not give us a resuscitation. They give us a bodily resurrection. The Bible is a story. You know, start to finish, it is a story. Sometimes people decide, they, I, I believe this, and they start in Genesis and they get lost in the weeds. And they're like, oh no, I kind of got lost in the story. But the Bible is itself a story, one story written over a course of thousands of years by several men and probably many women who remained anonymous. And, and, and the short version goes like this, that God created everything that we see out of pure goodness. God created out of pure goodness. And at the very pinnacle of God's creation, humanity. That alone bears the image of God. But the humans didn't like being subject to God, so they rebelled and became tried to be their own gods, tried to write their own story. And they destroyed most of what was good in the world. In order to reconcile the humans back to himself, God takes on flesh and blood, lives among us, is crucified, dead and buried, and rises again in order to create a path of reconciliation. This is the story of the Bible, start to finish. It is a story of reconciliation. And in order for us to hold this story together, we have to hold the whole thing together. Creation, fall, incarnation, crucifixion, Bodily resurrection. If we give up on this, we give up on the whole thing. But it's also a story of about how people were changed by this story. How people who huddled in fear in an upper room with doors locked for fear that somebody might come and take them turned into Simon Peter preaching in the city streets. Eventually crucified upside down. 
Because he said, I was, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. How do you get from being a guy who's hiding in a room, fearing for his life, to being a person who would willingly do something like that? Women who were summarily dismissed. Oh, idle wives' tales. Go on, ladies, get away from us. You don't, you, you, your word holds no weight with us. Suddenly women are working right beside men as equal counterparts in the early church. We've done all we can to sort of dismiss that. But it doesn't ex- it exist in the early church. That there are women in all four Gospels. You've heard this before from me. In all four Gospels, the first witnesses of the resurrection are always women. And they are the first evangelists. They are the first ones to proclaim the good news. It's a story of forgiveness and empowerment and transformation. It's a story about the way a few people, huddled in fear, turn the world upside down. It's amazing if you think about the spread of Christianity in the world. But people had no power and no money and no influence. Willingly sacrificed their lives, oftentimes, in order to tell this story. The very last verse, Jesus says, in this passage, You are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. What things? Creation, fall, incarnation, atonement. Resurrection, reconciliation. We're witnesses to these things. Holy Trinity Church, we are witnesses to these things. We are witnesses. And this witness language comes from the courtroom. I see a couple counselors sitting around here. There are different jobs in the courtroom. You know, judges make decisions. Prosecutors seek to impeach the, the, uh, the person on trial. Defense attorneys advocate for that person. What do witnesses do? Witnesses testify. They tell the truth. They tell the truth about what they've seen. They tell the truth about what they know. You and I, we are witnesses to these things. And that means we have a job to do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.